listening to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Goal Line Extended. Today is Tuesday, April 6th, and my name is Ryan Holzbus. Thank you for joining us for our fifth show of GLE, April 6th. We were originally planning on the college draft going down later tonight, but if you missed that news, the PLL announced over the weekend that the college draft has been pushed back to April 26th. So that should give us plenty of time to preview that draft over the next few weeks and some time to make sure we get you all caught up on all the latest news and updates out of the PLO and all the big storylines coming out of College Cross ahead of the draft. Lacrosse Flash Editor-in-Chief Austin Owens will be joining me in a little bit to catch us up on everything that we need to know and we'll discuss the entry draft of the Chaos, the only team that did not make any additions during the first round of the waiver period and the only team that we did not touch on and discuss last week following the entry draft. So we'll be circling back around and talking Chaos Lacrosse. Today, Austin will be joining me very soon. And then following Austin will be Archer's defenseman Eli Gobrecht, the fourth overall selection of last year's entry draft, one of the staples on what was in 2020 and is now ahead of 2021, one of the best defensive units in the league. He'll be joining me at the end of the show to talk about his team's offseason and the upcoming 2021 season. But before all that, joining me right now, lacrosse flash writer and reporter Jordan Johnson to talk about an exciting weekend in college lacrosse. Some notable scores coming out of the ACC. As always, the Patriot League gave us two really good games between ranked teams. But first, Jordan, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my guy? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Great weekend of college lacrosse. Great oh, yeah. weekend overall. Let's get it, buddy. Hey, let's start with that Thursday night game that we were treated to. The number one and number two teams in the country, Duke and North Carolina, squared off in Durham last Thursday night, and it did not disappoint at all. Duke was with a 12-11 to 11 overtime win over the Tar Heels, a game-winning goal by attackman Joe Robertson, sealed it in OT, and Robertson did his damage in this one. Seven points on the evening, including four goals. The needed contributor in this game for the Blue Devils, as Mike Sowers was held to just one goal on five shots. Brandon O'Neill held to two goals on 10 shots. Dyson Williams and Owen Caputo each tallying two goals apiece on 17 combined uh, shots. So struggling to find the back of the net was due. Granted, Colin Krieg was phenomenal in cage. 14 saves on 26 shots faced for North Carolina was able to keep UNC in this one. But Mike Adler on the other end put in an even better performance himself. 17 saves on 28 shots faced, able to stay above that 60% save mark. And that's a result of 22 combined shots Face from Chris Gray and Tanner Cook alone. So the shots were flying in this one on both ends, but the goalies were able to keep the score at bay. Duke to remain as the number one team in the country, according to Inside Lacrosse's rankings, after what can be looked at as a big-time statement win. Now back-to-back one-goal wins over ACC foes Syracuse and North Carolina. They travel to Notre Dame to take on fourth-ranked Irish on Saturday, and UNC falls to a, falls a single spot to number three. They will host sixth-ranked Virginia on Saturday. Jordan, I just breezed through some stats there from the game, and just from that, kind of able to get a good idea of how this game went. whole lot of shots, a lot of saves. We didn't see the goal total numbers that I think we were all expecting, but that can be reflected on those save numbers that we saw. But in terms of Duke separating themselves from the rest of the ACC and the rest of the country, were they able to do that with this one? I think they were. Um Definitely one of those games where they beat that UNC and that team. As And as you mentioned, Michael Sowers and Brendan O'Neill had quiet games, which is exactly what you want to see, right? Not that you want to see the other guys step up, all right? Because as you get towards the tournament, you, you didn't want them to see a team that was reliant to, on Brendan O'Neill or a team that was reliant on Sowers for scoring. You wanted to see the other guys 
Nakai Montgomery, Owen Caputo, Joe Robertson with the big game. That was a great game to watch from them, especially offensively getting the other guys coming into the game. As we mentioned last week, I was wondering how Jake Nazo would help hold up against UNC's face-off unit. He had a phenomenal game. He started to put himself up there in that conversation with some of the elite guys. Mind you, he's only a freshman, so you're going to see more of him. And it wouldn't be surprising me if, if in a few years we're talking about him the same way we're talking about guys like Kyle Gallagher right now. All right, T.D. Irwin, we know he's on his whole he's on a whole different level. But Jake Nazo has entered the conversation with some of the guys like an Inacio, a Gallagher, a Charlie Leonard, a Justin Shockey. He's entered that conversation. He had a phenomenal game against Tucci, and hey. Mike Adler still in his head, man. Both of the goalies did, Krieg and Mike Adler. But the difference between Mike Adler in game one against Denver to now has been phenomenal. And he might, he's going to be the difference in whether Duke wins the national title or not, because he's going to have to have one of those games again and again and again because of that ACC gauntlet. And then in the NCAA tournament, with all these teams, all these good teams that we haven't seen play, playing out of conference, Duke, the Dukes of, and the Marylands of the world, they're going to get a tough team from day one in the tournament. So you're going to have to have guys like Mike Adler step up and have a big game. JT Giles-Harris, even though he didn't get the number one matchup, which was smart on Duke's end, step up. So overall, I like this game from Duke as a team as a whole. It may not have been as fireworky, explosive as we thought, goal scoring wise. Obviously it was a great game. It was a great it was the greatest game of the year so far. And it was scrappy. And as you know, I love seeing a scrap fest, man. Oh yeah. So. Those are the games that we like to see. Those are the games that we like to see. And you, and you brought up Adler. Adler uh first game was benched and now comes into this one and, and really was the difference, as you were saying. For North Carolina, Chris Gray, Nikki Solomon, and Justin Anderson each tallied two goals and an assist, and Tanner Cook notched two goals on the evening. The Tar Heels will look to get back to their winning ways this weekend as they host Virginia. And the other big ACC game we had this weekend came from Duke's next opponent, Notre Dame, with a big win over Syracuse. 18-11 to was the final. For Notre Dame, Pat Cavanaugh continues his strong 2021 sophomore campaign with probably his best game of the season, four goals and five assists on the afternoon. Will York, Griffin Wesselin also added four goals each, but the story was more about the lopsided face-off battle more than anything. Kyle Gallagher, Charles Leonard, you brought up both of their names before, winning a combined 23 of 32 face-offs, Leonard winning eight of 10 himself. Notre Dame now up to number four in inside lacrosse's ranking, sitting at five and one. Syracuse drops their third of the season and second in a row, granted both to ACC teams. We bring up that ACC gauntlet, but they sit at four and three. Looking at this game and then their upcoming meeting with Duke, what does Notre Dame need to carry uh, need to carry into this one to pull off the quote-unquote upset this weekend over the top-ranked Blue Devils? Pat Cavanaugh needs to continue to be himself, right? Look, coming against Virginia, and he did, he wasn't great. Virginia had a game plan to shut him out. I think Duke is going to take that exact formula and try to run with that. But look, Pat Cavanaugh is special, man, and just like the other Cavanaugh brothers. He's going to be able to do great things. Now, against Duke's defense, I don't know, man. But here's 
I love how Will York has come along in these past couple games, especially in ACC play, to assert himself, right? And now he's got to go up against the big boys. He's probably going to get the JT matchup because I don't see how you put him on Kavanaugh necessarily. So he's probably going to get that matchup. And I'm ready to, and I'm really excited to see how how he gets that. He's another D2 or D3 guy. Excuse me. I know I'm botching this, which one it is, but another guy playing up like Charlie Bertrand, who had a great start to the year, but is now kind of falling off. Let's see with Will York if he can not have that same sort of fall off as Charlie Bertrand's had. With all respect to Charlie Bertrand, because he's still a good player in its own right. But now it's a now it's a next step up. Same thing with the Syracuse defender who had to guard who had to guard Michael Sowers, who actually played up to his competition well. But still, you could see it wasn't the greatest of matchups, and he had to adjust. I think Will York's going to have to do the same thing on the offensive end, but we'll see. Syracuse is looking ahead to a Thursday night matchup with Albany this week. Albany coming off a 17-6 win over UMass Lowell this past weekend in their first game officially without Tohoka Nanticoke. What does Syracuse need to do to get back to their winning ways? Because with the way the rest of the ACC is playing, they're going to need to get these out-of-conference wins, and it starts here against Albany. Well, I, you mentioned that Albany game. Even without Tohoka Nanticoke, that Albany offense looks scary. So Syracuse is going to have to figure it out on defense real quick. Look, offensively, we know what they are, right? You know that ball is going to be an Owen Hill to stick on every possession. You know that about the midfield. Now it's about the poles, man, because them, them Albany attackmen, they are something serious. Jacob Patterson is a problem, man, and how, and he's going to be your main focus, man. So I think they'll beat Albany, but I think it'll be as close. I think it'll be closer than a lot of people think. Uh, a lot of people might write this off as, oh, no, Tohoda and Nanticoke, they're going to get smacked. Excuse my name. Excuse me. Scott Moore is going to have that Albany team ready, man. And they better watch out. Because coming into the beginning of the year, that was a game that I circled on my calendar that was like, watch out. I thought Syracuse might have been undefeated by this time. But even still, Albany's going to play spoiler. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they'll give them three to four quarters of a hard-nosed game. Might go to overtime, sneaky overtime game. Maybe Owen Hiltzbury's one in overtime, and we all get shot. I don't know. Let me not go to prediction, but watch out for Albany. Hopefully to uh, give a run, uh, give Syracuse a run for their money here in this one on Thursday night. Number six-ranked Virginia was also in action this past weekend. They got a week off from their ACC rivals but still had a test on their hands. They traveled to take on number 17-ranked Richmond, and it was able to escape unscathed with an 18-10 to victory behind four goals and three assists from Connor Schellenberger, three goals and three assists from Matt Moore, and a hat-trick from Payne Cormier. They led the way for the Cavaliers as they improved to 8-2 and two on the season and look ahead to a very important game this weekend with North Carolina. Carolina, as Virginia currently sits at one and two in conference play. Both of their two losses coming in conference. Jordan, we saw these two teams match up last month. North, uh, North Carolina able to grab that one on the road, 16 to 13. What does Virginia need to do this time? They're going on the road to change their fortune and get back up to 500 in conference play. They need to pick up that momentum that they had in the second half of that first game. If they can get it rolling on offense, you just listed the guys that, that went off against Richmond. 
they're going to have to bring that same thing. Look, we talk about this every week. We know what Virginia is on paper. It's always with them. Can they get it going early, right, against UNC the first time? They did not. And that's and UNC is a team with their guys, with Nikki Solomon, Chris Gray, Tanner Cook. If you don't score on their defense early, they're going to cook you. That's what happened in the first half of that game, right? You had, excuse me, PD LaSalle has got to get it going. Schellenberger's got to get it going early. I wouldn't mind you putting the ball in Schellenberger's stick earlier than maybe Doc Saken or Matt Moore because if you have those guys around late, like sort of like Doc's against Notre Dame, they got it to him early, went to the other guys, then Doc's comes back around, gets that sick goal at the end to win it. Might want to think about employing that strategy again. Maybe same thing with Matt Moore. Because if you can get if you can get Schellenberger as a threat early on, it's almost not that they forget, but he just becomes that much more of a weapon late in the game because you're almost going to be tempted to slide to Schellenberger. And then it's like, oh, you got Cormier in the crease there. You got Doxic and you got Matt Moore. Oh, yeah. And you got the big guy, Charlie Bertrand, who's pretty good, uh, by the way. So the ACC giving us some great games this weekend. So did the Big Ten, number three, Maryland, making easy work of Penn State. The Terps got the 17 to 10 win to improve to 7 and 0. Jared Bernhardt scored five goals and added three assists. In the meantime, breaking Maryland's program record for goals in a career in the process. He now has 28 goals and 15 assists to his name on the season over seven games. Logan Wisnowskis also added four goals along with a hat-trick from Daniel Maltz. For Penn State, Mac O'Keefe posted a hat-trick for himself. But Maryland continues to roll. Now up to number two in the country, heading to Michigan to take on the Wolverines this weekend. Penn State will host Rutgers, who was able to hold off Ohio State over the weekend. 10-9 to was your final. The Scholar Knights fueled by three goals and assists from Ryan Charlambides. Colin Kirst saved 15 of 24 shots faced, and Rutgers improves to 5-2 and two on the year. Those only two losses coming to Maryland, and we're now seeing that Big Ten shape itself out. We know Maryland is a clear-cut number one, but we weren't too sure who really stood at number two. After this win, although not pretty, but this win along with the 10-point margin from back in February, I think it's safe to say that Rutgers is that number two, followed by the rest of the pack, and we'll wait and see how they fall. But a big win from Rutgers. But what might be most surprising after this game is that Ohio State moves up two spots to number 14 in this inside lacrosse Division One rankings. Obviously, a better outcome or a better outing, I should say, than their first time around with Rutgers when they surrendered 22 goals. But Jordan, a loss to a conference rival. Yeah, it was better than the last one, and they could have very well won this game, but they didn't. Does that justify them moving up in these rankings? It does not. And honestly, I think this is a product of not having an Ivy League team in there because a Harvard or Brown would have been there. Yale would have been in the top five. Um, yeah, man. Ohio State, look, they pulled it out. Or, I'm sorry, they didn't look great. And, look, they hung in there with Rutgers. They played way better than they did the first time. But, look, it's a this is something on the Big Ten. There's Maryland, as you mentioned, there's Maryland, and then there's everybody else. I mean, who do you think the third best team is? It's honestly, you have to say Ohio State now by default, but look at where Hopkins is. And I thought Hopkins was, every, yes, everyone, I thought Hopkins was going to be the second best team. All right. You got Maryland, you got Rutgers, and then you have, and then you can take your pick between Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Hopkins, right? 
And I think it's it's honestly the only way I can justify having a four loss team being that high is you're not having an Ivy League. And that's with all due respect to Ohio State, because they're going to give some whoever they end up playing in the Big Ten tournament. It might be Maryland and Ohio State in that championship game. They could very well beat Rutgers in the tournament if they so play them. So, look, Ohio State's good. They're not great. They're a four-loss team because they've had that Big Ten gauntlet, right? Had this been a normal year, for having them four losses, depending on how they've looked, I could see them in the top 20. But to have them in the top 15, no, just, just no. Ohio State definitely with a chance there to play Maryland, as you're saying. Big Ten tournament this year. All six teams will make it. The top two will get a bye. So we're thinking that's going to be Maryland at least as the one seed. We're imagining Rutgers as the two. So if Ohio, if Ohio State can stay as that three seed and get out of that first knockout round, then beat Rutgers, they would uh, be lined up to then play Maryland if Maryland was to win. But the third uh, Big Ten game we had last weekend was between those other two teams in the Big Ten. Michigan beating Johns Hopkins 13-10. to 10. Some might call this an upset as you might be in that you had Johns Hopkins early in the year at number two, but we're not calling this an upset. Johns Hopkins has not been playing very well this season as we both have just mentioned, but the Blue Jays dropped to two and five while Michigan improves to two and five. They both sit right there with Penn State at the bottom of the conference. And like I said, reality is all six teams make the tournament. So Top two get a bye. We should expect these three teams, along with Ohio State, to battle for that opportunity to play. Hopefully, Rutgers, shorter straw, going to the one that has to play Maryland. Yeah. But yeah. looking ahead to that likelihood, we're paying close attention to this bottom group in the conference, and Johns Hopkins continuing to not look good. What do you need to see out of them here over the last few weeks to have any confidence in them going uh, going forward into this Big Ten tournament? I need to see them play better defense, honestly. I mean, look – I'm not going to get into that Joey Epstein article that was in the sun. Like I know if those who follow me loyally want me to have my take on that. Nope. I'm staying out of that. That's between Millman Epstein, whoever wrote that article. Stay out of that. Connor D Simone at attack. I love that. Having Cole Williams come out of the midfield. I love that. I think it's just a matter of execution on the offensive end, but defensively Jamison Kester's is one of the best coordinators in the game of lacrosse, I believe. And that, and unfortunately, look, they're falling victim to not having enough that practice time together, not being on point necessarily. The slides coming in late, it's the little things. And it's not that, it's not even that they have a terrible defense. It's just execution wise, man. And late, as we get later in the season, especially as we talked about earlier, something with the teams in the top five, it's the little things, man. It's the technical stuff. Are you, are you hustling to the, to the sideline on a ground ball? Are you getting in and out? Are you, are you getting transition game? Because, look, Hop, we know Hopkins can win games when that transition's on point. Look at the first game against Penn State. Look at the Michigan game in Ann Arbor. When they get that transition rolling, that's going to be their key. When they can play fast on offense, get fast and get off of defense, go straight to playing offense in that transition game, that's how they're going to win games. And unfortunately, it's hard to do that when your guys, frankly, just haven't played a lot of lacrosse together and haven't played a lot of winning lacrosse together, unfortunately. So they're going to have to dig deep. If They're going to have to show me that they can be competitive. 
I think they'll give Maryland a run for their money at Homewood just on the pure emotions of that game, and I think they'll get up for that game. And in the Big Ten tournament, look, if they go into that Big Ten tournament hot, could they win a game or two? Absolutely. But I could say the same thing about Michigan. I could say the same thing about Penn State. I just talked about Ohio State potentially doing that. Whoever comes into that Big Ten tournament hot is who's going to give Maryland and Rutgers for their mo- a run for their money, right? Mm-hmm. So if Hopkins can get some sort of momentum going in, that's the way that they play spoiler to everyone else. Michigan will head to Maryland next weekend, and Johns Hopkins will head to Ohio State coming off three straight losses. We'll be talking about all the Big Ten action going down this weekend on Friday, so make sure to tune in then. But definitely trying to get hot here before that Big Ten tournament will bode well, I believe, for these other four teams at the bottom of the conference going into the tournament. Number five, Denver, continues to roll on and improves to 8-2 and two on the season after a 16-6 to six win over Marquette. T.D. Erland was a questionable for this game, but he did play in his second game for the Pios, was phenomenal again, winning 11-12 of 12 at the stripe. And Alex Stathakis backed up his performance from last weekend, 7-12 of 12 to complement T.D. And then goals came from all over. J.J. Schilstrop and Jack Hanna each with a hat trick. Ted Sullivan scored two goals. And Ethan Walker and Jackson Morrow, a goal and two assists for each of them, Denver starting to get real hot here at the right time ahead of their game this weekend with Villanova, and then a trip to Georgetown for a rematch with the 10th-ranked Hoyas. Don't sleep on Villanova. Um, this is ultimate trap game, right? We've been talking about this for a couple weeks now, Denver and Georgetown in D.C., but do not sleep on Villanova, a team that's starting to get hot themselves. I don't think I need to say much else about that. Um, Denver is obviously going to be a heavy favorite, but look, Denver, wake up, get your business done. Don't sleep on Villanova because this is your trap game. Get your bit, take care of business and go into DC with the biggest game of your season to date. That's all I need to say. I like that. I like that. Sure and sweet. The Patriot League also treated us to an exciting weekend with two top 20 matchups. Lehigh and Loyola, the two that came out with wins over the military academies. Lehigh, an exciting 13-12 to win over Army behind four goals from, uh, from Cole Curse and three goals and assists from Christian Mules. John Sidorsky scored two goals and added four assists for Lehigh as well. Mike Sisselberger at the faceoff dot, winning 23 of 27 faceoffs with 14 ground balls. Seemed to be the glaring difference in this one for Lehigh. And then Brendan Nickturn for Army continuing to play really well. He scored five goals and added two assists in the loss. And another Patriot League action we were watching closely was Loyola's 14 to 10 win over Navy Loyola up and down as of late. They put up 24 goals against Bucknell a few weeks ago, got blanked for six the following week. And then this past week, they got a huge conference win over another ranked team. Bailey Savio won 19 of 28 faceoffs to lead the way Loyola now up to number 13 on inside lacrosse's rankings. They welcome army this weekend to Baltimore after they fall a few spots to number 11 and number 19 Navy who falls to number 19. We'll head to Lehigh to take on the top team in the Patriot League, who now sits at number seven in the nation. So these teams just kind of flipping off who they're gonna who they're gonna play. Jordan Lehigh sneaks away with a win. Loyola a little more in control. Takeaways from this weekend here in Patriot League action. Takeaways, Lehigh's a top five team. They get, they beat Army. They they looked very convincing. I think I've heard a couple guys say if Lehigh gets in a game against Maryland, they could give them a run for their money in the tournament. I agree with that. Loyola, Loyola is what it is. 
They have their potential is through the ceiling, but they haven't played up to it. And honestly, I think that Navy only lost that game because they're still working their way back from their pause with COVID. Spencer Rees is one of the most underrated goalies this year. Unfortunately, we just haven't seen a lot of them, you know, and Navy could probably win that Patriot League, to be honest with you, or at least give Lehigh a run for their money. And I think there's Lehigh, Navy, one and three. Loyola's two, and Loyola would be one, but they're just so up and down. They're so, you get, as you mentioned, you get one great week out of them, then they lay an egg the next week. They sweep by Navy this weekend. I frankly, I don't know what kind of team Loyola is going to be. At their best, they are a top five team in the country, I believe. But at their worst, you've seen it. You get what you get against Towson. Some other results from the weekend. Number 10, Georgetown keeps rolling 20-7 to the final behind five goals and two assists from Jake Carraway. Graham Bundy also added six goals for Georgetown. Drexel upsets number 19, UMass, 12-11. to UMass falls out of the top 20 after the loss. And one that I know you're going to be happy about hearing, Jordan, UMBC defeating Vermont over the weekend 10-8. to They are now up to number 16 and set to head to Albany this coming Sunday. Jordan, we'll get a chance to see Albany in action on Thursday, as we said before, against Syracuse. Hopefully Syracuse can beat them up a little bit, but how confident are you in UMBC this weekend to get this win over Albany and hopefully start moving up these rankings? I'm very confident. Look, as I mentioned on Twitter this past weekend, they play the most scrappy ball ever. All right. They're going to give, they play defense and transition. My, they get the long poles involved. The short stick D middies. My guy Keith Dukes scored a goal in transition as a short stick D midi, man. They're going to they're gonna give Albany a run for their D, money on defense. Offensively, now it's just a matter. You got to put together. You got to put it together. And I think you need to put. Honestly, I don't want to take any shots at anybody. Um, I think the ball belongs in Ryan Frawley's stick more, for say. No offense to the other guys. So Zakelly's going to get his points. Uh, Dupuis coming along this year, and that kid not number nine. He's still on his head. Linger. And if he can have a game like that against Albany, and if they can shut out Jacob Patterson, I think maybe you give him the Ethan Robinson matchup. Maybe you play him at close D. I don't know. I like I said, I'm not, I'm not a coach, <laughs> but that kid Ethan Robinson, man, he's he's a baller as a freshman, man. Uh, it's gonna be like I said, UMBC. They need to make it their type of game, right? They need to make it a scrap fest because if this thing becomes a scoring fest, Albany's going to put up their goals, and UMBC needs to keep up with that. But if UMBC can play their sort of scrap fest, grimy, get the get the ground ball scrums, I get I feel confident in them. I honestly do. Regardless of whether Albany beats Syracuse or not, because um, I think Syracuse is going to give Albany a run for their money physically. And that's going to be a tough turnaround from, I believe, a Thursday game to a Sunday. I'm very confident in this UMBC team who's going to be getting a lot more guys back coming off of their COVID issues too. So I feel very confident, man. There we go. Getting guys back Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Albany will be traveling to UMBC, but definitely getting guys back. That should help uh, in hopefully getting that win there. Jordan, 
I want to thank you for joining me, my man. For everyone watching or listening, make sure to check out Jordan on social media at Jordan underscore John 5. And GLE will be back on Friday to brief you some of these matchups this weekend that we glanced over here today. Austin Owens will be joining me next to talk about the Premier Lacrosse League. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back to the show. Tuesday, April 6th. I hope you're all having a great day and enjoying the show. Jordan Johnson and I just ran through this weekend's slate of college lacrosse games, and GLE will be back on Friday to look ahead to next weekend, so make sure to keep an eye out for that. But joining me now to talk some Premier Lacrosse League is Lacrosse Flash Editor-in-Chief Austin Owens. Austin, what's going on, man? Welcome back to the show. Ryan, my friend, how are we doing on this lovely day? Doing great. Always here. Awesome, but just behind the scenes for all of our productions here to talk some PLL with me today. The plan was originally to have full coverage of the PLL college draft, which was originally scheduled for tonight. But my hard work as an insider paid off, even though it really wasn't that hard. The website just never made the change. But the league made the official announcement over the weekend that the college draws will the college draft will in fact be held on Monday, April 26th, as opposed to tonight. I heard it's scheduled for like 10 p.m. Eastern. That's only rumored, but I really hope that's not true as that flirts with my bedtime. But Austin, following this entry draft and amidst the current waiver wire ahead of the college draft, which is now a few weeks away, the only team we haven't talked much about here on this show over the last week or so since the entry draft is the chaos. Andy Towers' team remained quiet last week during the first round of the waiver period, but made three key additions back on the night of the entry draft in March. He snagged Max Adler eighth overall to be his face-off specialist of hopefully the future. Challen Rogers slipped to the end of the second round, and midfielder Kyle Jackson was taken with the last pick of the draft. Let's start with Adler. He is, as of right now, the only face-off man on this chaos team. Expect to see Towers add another draw guy before the season. But Whipsnake's face-off specialist Joe Nardella talked very highly of Adler last week in my interview with him. He's a guy that Towers was very happy to see slip to the end of round one, the Chaos being a team that struggled pretty mightily in the face-off department in 2020. They lose Tommy Kelly to the Cannons in expansion, possibly a blessing in disguise. What type of turnaround should we expect Adler to bring to this Chaos team going into 2021 at the face-off X? Well, I don't think you could get much worse than the Chaos did last season, and that's Saying with all due respect to Tommy Kelly, I know the underlying numbers really didn't uh, do him any favors, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, you know, when I look at chaos, Max Adler was the perfect fit for him. I think Mackie Jenner, she did a fantastic job scooping him up on her mock and she was spot on with it. I mean, they really only had Austin Henningsen behind Austin, Austin Henningsen uh, behind Tommy Kelly. And he wasn't a guy that was proven in the PLL so far. So, you know, you got to go up and get your guy. And I think they did. I think from what I saw of him, he was uh, really commanding. He was a captain with the Denver Outlaws during the MLL bubble. And he's just going to bring that leadership and he's going to bring that ability. And I mean, Joe said everything you need to know about him. The guy's an absolute monster. He's one of the best face-off guys in the world that wasn't already in the MLL, in the PLL, excuse me. And um, I think he's just going to come in and be a fantastic addition, obviously. Andy Towers, uh, you see what that offense can do once they get uh, regular touches in their end. And I think when you have a guy that's a dominant Adler, he's going to go head-to-head with the top guys in the PLL, and he's going to be a big guy for uh, chaos this season. Adler probably going to be one of the 
top face-off specials in the league, as you're alluding to. Challen Rogers, a guy that you and Greggy like a whole lot, a former second overall pick to the NLL's Toronto Rock, and only the next Canadian added to this already Canadian-heavy chaos offense. Another guy that you can probably say slipped to Andy Towers at the end of round two. What type of impact do you see? Do you foresee him making on this chaos midfield and in this chaos offense? I was joking when I was on last time when I said uh, the chaos were going to add every Canadian imaginable. Uh, but I'm not surprised, nor am I upset. I am very happy watching chaos. Go ahead and uh, just swoop up and grab Challen Rogers. I believe it was 16th overall, was that? Yeah, end of the end of the second round. It's pretty good, uh, considering we had him at fourth overall in our we mock. We had him going for the water dogs. Yeah, Greggy and I are very high on him. I am. I mean, Greggy's a big D guy. I big defense guy. I am as well. Challen Rogers. We talked about him, and he is he's a unicorn, and that's the best way I can explain him in as few words as possible. Honestly, he's six four, probably close to two twenty pounds. He runs as fast as I've ever seen. When he plays for the Toronto Rock, the guy literally never comes off the floor. He plays offense, defense. He plays power play for them. He he does so much. And I know Kyle was on here uh, last week talking about Brian Cole and what a big pickup he'll be for the Whipsnakes. Challen Rogers is going to have that same impact, I think, when it comes to chaos. Um, he can run both sides. I think he's an underrated scorer because he's so known for his defensive ability, but he's obviously a big transition threat in the box game. And just that size and that ability, he's probably got one of the heaviest shots I have ever seen. Um, not necessarily a guy that's going to shoot it a lot. He likes to sort of set up plays and get in tight. He can swim a lot. He can get to the cage. But when he wants to let it go from up top, he absolutely stings it. So I think he's going to be a guy that Andy Towers absolutely loves. I think you put him in that midfield core with Salcedo and Jake Ficaro, and if, if you let him shoot from two-point range, he might be the new member of the bomb squad, honestly. There we go, possibly adding members to the Chaos Bomb Squad. Kyle Jackson, he's another quote-unquote Canadian. He's an Ontario native and a member of yeah. the Amgen Nun First Nation in Ontario. He's played internationally with the Iroquois Nationals, and he's held 88 goals during his time with Michigan that ended in 2016. Jackson was selected five picks after Rodgers in the first round of the 2016 NLL entry draft. Towers was able to grab him with the final pick of the 2021 PLL entry draft more canadian influence being added to what people are already calling and have been calling the plo's team canada when referring to the chaos how does the addition of jackson further cement that canadian influence on offense going forward i think kyle jackson's performance at the latest world indoor games sort of shows you what you can expect from him he's a very slippery individual he's sort of got a smaller frame and is a little bit more slight but he he can just contort his body and make people miss and do all these things that I, I can't say a lot of players can do. Um, I think he was a big piece in Coach Quirk's Cannons team last year on the way to the MLL championship. I don't really know. I think he's more of a complimentary piece, and that's no disrespect to Kyle Jackson. That's just how good the chaos unit is right now with Ricaro Salcido. Uh, you have Ian McKay, who's just come in. Uh, you've got Challen Rogers, who we just talked about. And Jackson's going to be a – he can be sort of – I talked about this Josh Courier role because he was sort of the standout when it came to this of being that guy who can sort of be an attack midfield hybrid. And I think he'll fit in perfectly with that with the chaos offense. I just think when it comes to him, you put him in different scenarios as a lefty and he's lefty dominant. You put him in the two man game with Josh Byrne. I think he'd be fantastic. I think you could run him off a number of sets. He would be incredible coming out of the box. He's going to be very good. He's just shifty and he is a special player. I think, when you look at him, he had a bit of a down season last year for Halifax, and that's sort of the last time before the MLL bubble that we got to see him in a full slate. 
but that's also because he had to play with Cody Jamison and he had to play with Ryan Banesh with the Thunderbirds. Two, two pretty good players, I would say. Um, so he didn't get as many touches as I'm sure he'd like. But in the field game, I mean, he speaks. this play speaks for himself. I mean, he's a U-Michigan product. He's done everything there is to do. He won an MLL championship. Now he's got to win a PLL championship, and he's going to a team that was right on the door last season. So I'm interested to see how Coach Towers sort of employs him in this unit. I think him on the left side with Vernon Austin Stotts is really exciting, though. Now, Andy Towers has not made any additions yet through the PLL waivers. Remember, before the entry draft, he added attackman Chase Frazier and former NFL running back Dalton Croson to the roster. Both had already been in the PLL player pool, but his team now sits at 25 players, fact-checked by the PLL's Joe Keegan, and he holds six college draft picks for April 26th, the notable ones being the sixth overall pick of the first round and then back-to-back picks at 14 and 15. Some were wondering why he didn't make any moves during that first round of the waivers. Also keep in mind, we should be hearing soon from both defensemen Matt Reese and Johnny Surtick, who are both currently on that military list. Reese played in Utah in 2020, but Surtick did not. We are currently unsure of their availability for this summer. But Towers still sitting tight, looks to be waiting out this process. And again, he has six picks in a four-round draft and would exceed that mark of 30 players if he uses all those picks and keeps his current roster through the end of April. So we will wait to see what Coach Towers does over the next few weeks. And what and that brings me uh, actually to my question here because all the teams in the league are under 30 players. The Cannon's the only exception. Coach Quirk is at 30 right now. But the other seven teams are hovering around that 25, 26, 27 roster number right now. The defending champion Whipsnakes have the smallest roster at 24 after adding midfielder Frank Brown yesterday. With all that talent still out there ahead of the college draft later this month, why do you think all these teams aren't maxing out their rosters like we saw Coach Quirk do? I think it's one of those things where you know, the waiver wire is probably going to play a bigger role or at least a bigger role than it has up to now in the lead up to the season after the draft is done. I'm not sure when the waiver wire closes following the college draft. April 30th. April 30th. Okay. So I remember, so you've got probably a three or four day window following the draft, uh, three day window, excuse me. Yeah. Sorry. Not a math guy. Um, yeah, you've got that window, and I, I seem to remember last year there was a lot of guys that got signed after that draft. There was your Eli Salamas for the Chrome. There was Jake Withers for the Water Dogs, guys that really came in and were productive pieces for their teams. So I think when I look at the original thing, we were obviously waiting around. I think we we filmed the day that the original waiver wire was supposed to happen, and we were going, what's, what's going on with Chaos? What are they doing? Like, there's We talk about Canadians on that team. This team came out. You've got Mark Matthews, Kevin Crowley out there, like, you're just going to let them sit, Coach Towers? And I didn't realize that they have six picks in this draft. I don't know where they came from. I'm assuming the Salcedo-Jones trade was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, hey, more power to, to Coach Towers. I mean, my goodness. Like, they're going to add so much talent through that draft, and I'm just talking about chaos for now, so we'll get to the other teams in a sec. But they're going to have to get down to that 30 range. When it comes to chaos, they're going to be one over with all their picks. So do you trade away a pick, gain more capital for next season? Do you do something where you trade away? I know Miles Thompson's been a guy that's been sort of talked about in rumors the last little while for obvious reasons. Uh, Chase Fraser and Dalton Crossan, I'm not sure what their plans are for them. We'll see. I, I'm assuming they're training camp bodies for now. But when it comes to all those teams, I feel like they're going to feel out what they can get in the college draft. And there's certainly a number of guys that each team can add. But at the same time, then you also have that waiver period afterwards where you can sort of figure out what you want your roster to look like near that end of the season. So it'll be interesting to watch what the teams are doing. I, the whip snakes are just ridiculous. I don't understand. I think I posted the, you can't keep doing this from breaking bad about Jim Stagnita. Like 
it's an absolute joke that they got Matt Abbott and Brian Cole and they got Kevin Reisman and they just got Frank Brown, who I'm assuming is going to probably play like a D midi sort of role for them. Um, they're just adding talent, all these teams. And it's, it's exciting to sort of see that like every player didn't quite end up where we thought they would be. I sort of had players penciled into certain teams and all of them are wrong. And I, I love that sort of chaotic nature of the PLL that like, because you're a Canadian guy, you're not penciled in to say the water dogs or the chaos because they're more like the Canadian MO teams or the whip snakes going out and grabbing a guy like Kevin Reisman, even though they have Joe Nardella. Like it's kind of fun just to see how all these sort of shake out and see what those battles will be in camp. So I'll be watching the college draft, obviously, but I'll be watching the waiver wire just as closely in the next few days after that. We should see a few of these teams add really, I, as you were saying, you brought up Reisman, just kind of those backup roles. There's a handful yeah. of teams that only have one faceoff guy and the Whipsnakes only have one goalie. So we will wait and see whether or not the other seven head coaches continue to make additions ahead of the college draft. Obviously, Coach Quirk already being at that number 30, uh, at that magic number of 30 players. Jim Stagnita and Tim Sudan, as you brought up before, got the ball rolling yesterday, yesterday being Monday. Stagnita added midfielder Frank Brown to his team, a former Boston Cannon and a member of the Buffalo Bandits. And Sudan added short stick defensive mini Michael Brown and goalie Tate Boyce off the player pool to compete in camp. Chrome now sits at 28 players with four draft picks, the notable one being the third overall pick of the draft. But I'm looking at a few of these teams and the possible holes that these head coaches might want to address before the college draft. As I'm saying, face-off and goalie being the notable ones. The chaos still with just one face-off man. Tim Sudan, Chris Bates with the Archers, Ben Rubier and Atlas, and Andy Copeland and the Water Dogs in the same boat with one draw guy. Bates in a little more of what you could call panic mode, given that those other four head coaches seem to have found their answer at face-off. And four of these teams, if they wanted to, could be in the TD Irwin sweepstakes. The Atlas at one, Water Dogs at two, Chrome at three, and the Archers at five. And again, Towers with six picks at number six could make a move up if he chooses. You just brought up before making a possible trade. Same applies for the Archers at five, but these five teams could be looking for another draw guy ahead of the college draft. They could find that guy here in the waiver wire or after the college draft in the waiver wire. Jim Sudan or, uh, Jim Stagnito only has one goalie. He could have his eyes on a possible backup for Kyle Burnlore after losing Jake Stover. So with three weeks until the college draft, we could very well see some more additions as well as cuts. We saw Davey Amala, veteran Mike Simon, released by the Archers. So these head coaches are staying active. Hopefully it remains that way through this month of April. But Frank Brown picked up by the defending champs. What should, You brought up that he should play in more of a short-stick defensive midi role. What should he add to this Whipsnakes midfield, as we said? Chris Aslanian, Brian Cole, Matt Abbott already added. What should he bring to this team? I think when you look at, say, a Brian Cole or a Matt Abbott, I think what they do is they bring that two-way ability. Matt Abbott's listed as a short-stick D midi, but obviously he can bring some punch at the offensive end. Frank Brown can do that as well, but I think more so, I think it's sort of what Chris, Bate, Chris Bates talked about when he was talking about adding through the draft size and also just strength, ability, stuff like that. Frank Brown is, I think, 6'4". Like, he's a he's a big body back there. Uh, I believe he's a Hobart guy as well. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sort of blanking on where he went to school. But just through the indoor game, he's sort of been one of those guys that is very talented. But he's been exposed to expansion a couple of times and moved around a bit. So we haven't quite gotten to see him sort of in a role that we thought we would just yet. But he'll get there at some point. Um, but he's been that transition guy. He starts out of the back door in the NLL and is able to bring the ball up and provide some punch sometimes, but more so more so, just get the ball over the midline and then get it to the offense in order to set up. And that's not exactly the most glamorous job in the world. That's not what everybody sort of sets out to be, but that's an important role in lacrosse, no matter what sport or what variant you play, field or box. 
And I think that's what Frank Brown's going to be. And I think he's going to buy into Jim Stagnina's sort of philosophy of just everybody buying in and being able to just do what the whip snakes do. And that's, you know, they love to score ones. They, they make that a big thing. They're just solid at the defensive end. Like you, you get on, get off jobs done. That's it. There's no, there's no screwing around at the back end with that team. And I think Frank is a big body. I think you put him with Matt Abbott, you put him with Charlie Hayes, who I know uh, David talked about as being a very mean individual who uh, is not very fun to play against. So I, I think Frank will be a very interesting guy to watch, um, see what his role sort of is. I know he played a bit of a different role at Hobart, so we'll see what he becomes. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm just sort of, I'm seeing it as we're recording. So I'm just sort of compartmentalizing what it means for the team, but it's another good player. And that's all you want in this is guys that are willing to buy into your philosophy and your system and guys that'll fit in with the rest of the guys in the room. And I think that's what Frank will do. Hit singles, play good defense, and win championships. That is what the Whip Snakes do. Again, we will wait and see how these head coaches round out their rosters ahead of the college draft. Sean Quirk, again, already at that magic number of 30 with two college draft picks. And it looks like every team will go over that magic number of 30 during the college draft, except for the Archers, Water Dogs, and Whip Snakes. Each of them should be at or below 30 if they keep their current college draft picks. Use them and make no more additions between now and April 26th. But as we're saying, we want to see more waiver wire pickups and stuff to talk about here on Goal Line Extended. Austin, thank you for hopping on and talking some Premier Lacrosse League with me. If anything happens between now and like Thursday evening in the PLL, you know we'll be back here on Friday to talk about all of it. Don't go anywhere. Archers defenseman Eli Gobrecht will be joining you next. Tuesday, April 6th. My name is Ryan Olsbus, and you are watching or listening to our fifth show of Goal Line Extended, a new show out of the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. We are glad that you are here and hopefully enjoying the show. If you are not already, make sure to subscribe on Goal to Goal Line Extended on YouTube to watch our full broadcasted show, and then head on over to Lacrosse Flash and subscribe there as well, as we'll have segments cut out from the show individually available for your viewing. Also, make sure to check out lacrosseflash.com and all the awesome content our crew is putting together over there. Joining me now is one of Ithaca College's finest, the 2016 Empire 8 Player of the Year and the Division Three Most Outstanding Defensive Player, as well as an MLL champion with the Denver Outlaws in 2018. He is now a member of, in my opinion, one of the top defensive units in the PLO, if they weren't in that conversation already. Joining me now, Archers and San Diego Seals defenseman Eli Gobrecht. Eli, what's going on, my guy? Hey, Ryan, thanks for the intro. I uh, really pumping my tires there, so I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, happy to be on. Um, as you can see, I'm in sunny San Diego right now. So uh, life is good, man. I'm excited for the season, excited to be on here. Absolutely. Your backdrop looks incredible right now. I'm just, I was, I've been, I was in Key West a few weeks ago. I was in Georgia last week, like, and then I was in Myrtle Beach this past weekend. Little hectic, hectic month we've had here, but I've been in these nice, like, you got this nice backdrop. I've been seeing a lot of that. And I, I'm glad that you got this, uh, this nice life you got living here that you got going on. Yeah, I was debating whether I should take the call inside or not, but uh, any chance you get to show off the uh, the palm oh, trees yeah. back there, you got to do it. <laughs> I'd be, if, if I had this backdrop right now, I'd be showing that off. The uh, the Ithaca Bombers, 
You guys sit at two and one right now on the season after playing all three of those games in like a week span there in the middle of March. Last two games with RIT and Union postponed, but it looks like we're set to go with Cortland on Wednesday. Have you been able to tune into any Bombers lacrosse so far this season? If so, from what you've seen, what have you liked? Yeah, I got to watch a little bit of the uh, Geneseo game um, a couple weeks back. Um, yeah, it's good to see them playing again. I mean, it's just been so long. Um, since I've been able to watch them play, like all the other college teams, Division One especially, it's been incredible to watch. But, you know, they, they look pretty good. Like they had a tough game against St. John Fisher uh, last week. And St. John Fisher is one of the best teams in the country now. Actually, one of the kids I used to coach, Nick Miller, I got to give him a shout out from Ithaca High School, is now the all-time leading scorer there. But um, I think Ithaca has looked decent at times. The offense uh, is something they, they kind of had going. There's who had like four goals in a row in the game I was watching. So that was pretty cool to see. But just great to see the boys uh, and the girls team back out there playing again. Ithaca hopefully set to continue with their season after that brief pause. They have Cortland on Wednesday, Clarkson on Saturday in their first conference game of the season, and Skidmore, St. Lawrence, and Vassar, all conference opponents, to close out the season. Eli, you know a lot more about those teams in these matchups than I do. Based on that schedule, how do you see Ithaca finishing out this season ahead of conference championships and then looking ahead to a D3 championship run? Yeah, I mean, that, that Cortland game is always the one that's probably circled on the calendar um, first. Like, that's our biggest rival. And, you know, from my experience playing there, the first three years we played those games went to double overtime. We lost, overtime lost, double overtime lost again, and finally beat them our senior year. So um, that's that's kind of a game where you're going to have butterflies the whole day going into it. This is the records of each team. So I think... That's kind of a huge one that can set the tone for them moving forward and hopefully give them some confidence uh, heading into that matchup with Clarkson and then uh, into the Liberty League uh, playoffs, like you said. You know, RIT looks like an absolute wagon this year, so that's going to be hard for anybody to beat. But, uh, you know, last time they, they beat him was 2016 when I was there. Hopefully they can uh, make that magic happen again. Hey, we will hope for it. We are now Ithaca Bombers backers here. Eli Gobrek yes. joining us. Your head coach, Archer's head coach, Chris Bates, adding a lot of talented players here ahead of the 2021 season. Obviously, a lot of talented players were available for the taking, especially with that second overall pick of the entry draft. But as we've heard, it's more than just talent. It's about fitting into the culture, the game plan, the locker room, all that plays a part in it. Connor Fields is one of those talented players that Coach Bates acquired before the entry draft. He sent Ian McKay to the chaos for him. Fields being a guy you're pretty familiar with a guy you've played with during your time with the seals what does he bring to this archers locker room and what are you most excited for when it comes to playing and competing alongside him well i think you know first of all fieldsy is just a really really um serious competitor um you know i think he's got to have a chip on his shoulder kind of coming off having a bit of a down year last year uh with the chaos but you know i i know how talented he is i've seen him play um, on my team with the Seals, which is great because, you know, he's an incredible shooter, um, a great feeder. And I, I think he's primed to have an awesome season in our offense, um, especially whenever you get a chance to play with Tom Driver. I think that he just makes everyone around him better. Um, I think Connor's going to really thrive in our system this year. Chris Bates adding yet another weapon to this Archer's offense. Fields now joining Will Manny, Marcus Holman, and Grant Amen at attack. As you say, Tom Schreiber, 
Ryan Ambler, Christian Mazzone, and Joey Sankey in that midfield, along with entry draft additions Nate Solomon and Ryan McNamara to that offense. Coach Bates also made a point of addressing that already really good defense that you guys had in 2020. Graham Hasek taking with the second overall pick of the entry draft, Warren Jeffrey taken in the third round, and Latrell Harris, a guy that can really do a lot of different things and play in various roles. He's added through the waivers. It seems like from the outside looking in, that these three guys are going to come in and make a big impact immediately for you guys on the defensive end. How do you see that playing out, and what are you looking forward to most in welcoming them to this team, this locker room, kind of this championship culture and mindset that you're trying to build here? Yeah, I mean, I remember just talking to Matt McMahon after uh, our entry draft when we were both pretty pumped um, because, you know, just felt like we could use a little bit more size, like I'm sure uh, Coach Bates mentioned multiple times, size and strength, and, um, I don't, I'm not sure there's anyone in the league that's as strong as Graham Hasek. Like, he's an absolute beast. They call him a cyborg for a reason. Um, I think I posted a clip after we drafted him of him just running me over uh, when we played Halifax this year in San Diego. Um, so he's going to be a great addition to our team. I think he's got to be in the conversation as, you know, one of the best defensemen in the world. So I'm excited to play with him. Um, and the Moose, uh, we have two Mooses on the team now with Mark McNeil and Warren Jeffrey. But I played against uh, Warren in MLL uh, with Chesapeake. He did a really good job um, in that championship game 2019 guarding junior. Um, and I played against him in indoor too. Um, you know, have a couple mutual friends uh, like Ian McKay went to Vermont with him and Coach Cab, I know, coached him there. So uh, they speak really highly of him and I'm excited to see what he can do. And as you mentioned, uh, Latrell Harris too. Uh, I've been kind of a, a fan of his game from afar. I know that he joined the NLL basically as an 18-year-old, which is almost unheard of. Like, I didn't play my NLL first NLL game till I was, I think, 26. So I think he is really versatile. He can play LSM. He can play short stick. He can play close if he needs to. So I just feel like we added a ton of talent, and our defense um, got a lot better through these drafts. And it's crazy. We're over here imagining a defense with some kind of combination of yourself, Graham Hossick, Matt McMahon, and Warren Jeffrey, Scott Ratliff running at LSM, Dominique Alexander, McNeil, Latrell Harris at short stick defense. Harris, as you're saying, can pick up a pull. The possibilities seem endless, and we haven't even gone into the man down combinations that we can see Chris Bates and Tony Rush throw out there, utilizing all the different strengths of this defensive group. It's incredible. And what's even better for us, at least, is that this situation is pretty much the same for all the other seven teams you know, we'll, we'll be lucky to uh, watch all of that go down this summer. Lucky for you, you get to compete against those other seven teams and alongside this Archers group. Your team added all this new talent, but it does come at an expense as we kind of all expected it to. LSM Mike Simon released to the player pool by your team during the middle of last week. A guy that has won championships at the professional level in my conversations with Chris Bates ahead of last year's championship series. Simon was a guy that he held, a, uh, held in very high regard. You add all this talent, but again, it comes at a price. What will you miss most about being around Mike, what he does on the field, that veteran leadership that he brings to the locker room, and what's the plan hopefully in replacing his loss? Yeah, I mean, I, I played with Tree my rookie year back in 2018 with the Outlaws. Um, and him being another D3 guy, like, he really took me under his wing. Um, and it was it was pretty special to, to win a championship with him back in 2018. So, you know, when I found out we were going to be teammates again with the Archers, I was excited. But, you know, he's just, like, uh, just like sort of a blue guy that, like, um, is a huge part of our locker room. Like whether it's cause he's the center of attention, his guys are kind of ripping on him a little bit or, uh, you know, he's making some points like the guys won six MLL championships. So he's got, 
a championship pedigree and and he's a guy that's great to have in your locker room and kind of brings your team together so definitely going to miss that aspect um and uh hopefully we'll get a, another degree guy in there that can uh, be my buddy <laughs> there we go there we go the uh the 2021 nlo season was set to start this weekend, obviously has since been called off and pushed back to a December start date amid the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. We should then have a full 2021-2022 NLO season. Disappointing that you couldn't be playing this weekend, but looking ahead to December, we don't want to look too far ahead and then have this summer fly by too fast, but getting back to playing in the NLO, hopefully by that point, fans in the stands as normal, um, and we're you know hopefully going to be able to freely cross that U.S.-Canada border, kind of the issues that they were having in making the season happen now. But what are you most excited about in terms of getting back out on the floor for the Seals? Yeah, I mean, we were really rolling at the end of the, you know, at the end of the pandemic here. We'd won five out of our last six, and, you know, we got Austin Stotts back from injury. We were kind of starting to click defensively and offensively, so... I'm just excited to get back with this group. I mean, like just the fact that I get to play with a guy like Brody Merrill as my captain, um, you know, you kind of just feel fearless on the floor when you have that guy uh, behind you. And uh, I think some of these rookies that we've drafted hopefully can come in and contribute um, right away. But yeah, I'm just excited for a full season. Like I've never had a full season in the LL and I'm planning on being in market down in San Diego. Um, I've got a lot closer like with some of my teammates been living with Westberg for the past couple months down here um, and with uh, Moose Winery, our, our goalie. So, you know, I think we have a pretty awesome group here and, you know, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to live in San Diego. Um, so, you know, just moving forward, looking at the roster, I, I think it's going to be an awesome year. And like you said, I don't want to look too far ahead because I'm mainly focused on uh on this summer, but uh, the show winter will be here before you know it. Um, so you know, I can't wait to get going again with these guys. Eli, I want to thank you so much for joining us, my man. Looking ahead to the 2021 season, what are you most excited for? Um, I'm just excited for training camp. I want to, you know, see all these new faces and, and have a full season with these guys. Like, a, it's it was a great experience going to the bubble, and I think it brought us a lot closer. But, you know, I don't think anybody envisioned – or wanting to play like a six game season in the end. So um, getting that full slate of games and, and making a run at a, at a championship with this group is, is just, you know, I can't wait for it. Oh yeah, chasing championships is what we do. Gonna have to stop the whip snakes, the cannons as well, <laughs> defending champions. Yeah. All right, you got two teams that are going for uh, defensive or uh, trying to defend the title. So we'll see if your team can do it. Eli, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. For everyone watching and listening, make sure to hit up Eli on Instagram and Twitter at Gobi Desert. Take it easy, my man. Hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Take it easy, brother. Appreciate it. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for our fifth show here of Goal Line Extended. I want to thank you all for watching and or listening. If you are not already, make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube as well as on whatever podcast platform that you use. Search up Goal Line Extended, and you should be able to find it. You can also follow Goal Line Extended on Instagram and Twitter at GL Extended. All the links that you will need will be in the description of the video or podcast that you are viewing or listening to. We will be back on Friday to look ahead to the weekend slate of games and whatever else goes down in the world of lacrosse. So make sure to follow and subscribe so that you don't miss the show. I hope you all have an incredible week, and we will see you on Friday. 
Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at GL Extended and subscribe to the show on any of your favorite podcast outlets. You can find Lacrosse Flash on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and online at lacrosseflash.com. 